0: Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, just before these verses, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus dealt with the themes connected with the disciples' inner life. Uh, Attitudes in giving, prayer, fasting, materialism, and anxiety over material things. Now, he turns to how disciples think of, And treat people in our relationships. We remember that Jesus called for a righteousness that was greater than that of the scribes and Pharisees. Matthew 5.20 Now some people think, as the Pharisees did, that the best way to make oneself more righteous is to be more judgmental of others. Well, Jesus says, not my disciples. In fact, he rebukes fault-finding Christians. The idea behind this word judge is to sift out and analyze evidence. Like a judge in court, you look at the evidence, evaluate it, and conclude on innocence or guilt. Well, following the Pharisees' lead, people were being hypocritical or hypercritical of others, even bringing up petty issues to heap on on further harsh judgment. What Jesus is saying not to do is this. Don't push God off the throne and take his place in giving a verdict on a person's life. Don't push God off the throne and take his place in giving a verdict on a person's life. With that clear, here's what it does not mean. Here's what Jesus is not saying. I came across an interesting fact recently. There was a time when the most popular Bible verse in the world was John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. But since the creation of social media, any guess on what the most quoted scripture is today? You got it. This one our text. Even non-Christians who have never opened a Bible know this verse. In fact, I find it quite interesting. They can even quote the King James version of this verse, verse. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Well, what do they mean when they, what do they mean when they, and many Christians also, quote it like that? They're saying this, you can't tell me what I can and cannot do. That's what they mean by judge. That's not Jesus' point. Uh, Allow me to paint two pictures in your brain to help explain this. Here's picture number one. There's a group of Christians outside a church protesting as a funeral is taking place. Well, they're holding signs, many of them stating something like this God hates You fill in the blank with a hot-button sin of your choice. God hates blank, they burn in hell. That's picture number one. Picture number two. A father is sitting with his daughter, and between them is a Bible, and they're having a conversation. Sin is being talked about. Sin brings death, and sin is a condition that we cannot fix on our own. And when sin is not addressed in our lives, God will judge it and punish the sinner for eternity. But the conversation doesn't stop at the sin and judgment. The father talks about Jesus. The father tells his daughter, Jesus is the son of God. He became man, living the perfect life, never sinning, and being the perfect sacrifice to die for our sin. By putting one's faith in Jesus, our sins can be washed away and we can receive new life through the Holy Spirit that God gives us at our baptism. Do you have the two pictures? Christians protesting and condemning people to hell, and a father and a daughter talking about sin, but about Jesus being the answer to the problem of sin. You got the picture? Which one is Jesus condemning in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1? Harsh judgment that lacks graciousness to talk about Jesus. That's what he condemns. Harsh judgment that lacks graciousness to talk about Jesus. As Christians, we will and we must talk about sin but it is to be done in a manner to draw greater attention to the cross of Jesus. What if? What if Christians were less like a protest group picketing what they are against and more like an alcoholic anonymous group? Think about that. Gordon MacDonald shares the following story about a visiting a small group of men and women affiliated with Alcoholics Anonymous. Listen to what McDonald said. Uh, And again, just a little context. He visited the group because he has friends who are recovering alcoholics, and he wanted to see for himself what they were talking about. And here's what he found. Quote, One morning, Kathy, I guess her age 35-ish, she joined us for the first time. Well, one look at her face caused me to conclude that she must have been Hollywood beautiful at 21. But now her face was swollen, her eyes were red, her teeth were rotting. Her hair looked unwashed, uncombed for who knows how long. Here's what she said. I've been in five states in the past month. I've slept under bridges on several nights. I've been arrested, raped, Robbed. And at this point of the story, she begins to weep. I don't know what to do. I don't want to be homeless anymore. And she's sobbing at this point. And she says, But I can't stop drinking. I can't stop. I can't. And next to Kathy was a lot, rather large woman named Marilyn, sober for more than a dozen years. And she reached both arms towards Kathy and pulled her close, so close that Kathy's face was pressed into Marilyn's chest. And McDonald was close enough to hear Marilyn speak quietly into Kathy's ear. Honey, you're going to be okay. You're with us now. We can deal with this together. All you have to do is keep coming. Hear me? Keep on coming. And then Marilyn kissed the top of Kathy's head. And McDonald says this, I was awestruck. The simple words, the affection, the tenderness, how Jesus-like. And here's the question I want us to wrestle with. Could this have happened here at Blenville? Think of the sin that is at the top of your list of intolerable. If such a person came to Blenville, would there have been a space and a place for them to tell their story like Kathy did hers? Would there be a Marilyn at Blenville to respond like Jesus and offer Kathy the gospel? If not, if all we offer is a harshness and judging, we are guilty of what Jesus is saying not to do. So while this text does not prohibit examining the lives of others, it certainly prohibits doing it in the spirit it is often done. An example of unjust just judgment was the disciples' condemnation of the woman who came to anoint the feet of Jesus with oil in Matthew 26, 6 to 13. The disciples thought she was wasting something. And Jesus and she had done a good work that would always be remembered. The disciples were harsh, they were rash, heaping unjust judgment upon her. David Guzik explains how the church breaks this command. Listen to what he says. We break this command when we think the worst of others, when we only speak to others of their faults, when we judge an entire life only by its worst moments, when we judge the hidden, hidden motives of others. We do this when we judge others without considering ourselves in their circumstances. We do this when we judge others without being mindful that we ourselves will be judged listen to how the message translates our verse don't pick on people don't don't jump on their faults don't criticize their faults unless of course you want the same treatment in other words don't become a professional fault finder that's verse 2 of chapter 7 It says this, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In Jesus' day, the rabbis taught that God had two measures he used to judge people. One was a measure of justice, and the other was a measure of mercy. Think about it this way. If we measure a person's actions by justice, wrong actions receiving proper punishment, What must be set aside for that justice to occur? Compassion. Why must compassion be set aside? Because compassion leads to mercy, and mercy leads to forgiveness. And that's a problem. From a human level, justice cannot occur if mercy is brought into a situation. Now let's change the measurement. Let's change it from justice to mercy. If we measure a person's actions by mercy, what must we set aside? Well, we must set aside whatever justice demands at that moment. Justice is set aside so grace can be given. Now, with that idea in mind, let's go back to verse 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Catch this. If you measure others by justice without mercy... God will judge you by justice without mercy. If you measure others by mercy, leaving justice to God, God will judge you with mercy. In his book, Grace Awakening, Charles Swindoll recounts an experience he once had while ministering at a Bible conference. On the first night, he had briefly met a couple who seemed to be friendly and quite glad to be at the meetings. However, as the week went by, Swindle noticed that roughly 10 minutes after he would start speaking, every evening, the husband would fall fast asleep. And this experience began to irritate Chuck Swindoll, so much so that by the time of the final meeting, he was convinced that the man was there only to please his wife. And he was probably a carnal Christian. Those are Swindoll's words. And at the conclusion of the final meeting, however, the wife requested to speak to Charles for a few minutes. Well, he figured she wanted to talk to him about her husband's lack of interest in spiritual matters. Imagine how greatly embarrassed Chuck Swindoll was when the wife mentioned that her husband had terminal cancer and that they had attended attended the conference mainly at the husband's request. She said this, it was his final wish to be at the conference, even though the pain medication he was taking made him drowsy. And she then said, he loves the Lord and you are his favorite Bible teacher. He wanted to be here to meet you and to hear you no matter what. And here's what Chuck Swindoll wrote. I stood there all alone as deeply rebuked as I have ever been. Oh, what a dangerous thing it is to judge others. Jesus said, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Matthew 7, 2. Justice or mercy? Which measure do you use in judging people? Jesus will now illustrate why none of us are qualified to measure people by the standard of justice. Look at verses 3 to 4 of our text. Jesus says, do you see that man? He has a two-by-four wood plank in his eye. But what on earth is he doing? Listen to the man's own words. The man with the plank says this, Oh, I see there's a tiny piece of sawdust in the corner of your eye. Let me get it out for you. And in getting close to the man with the tiny speck, plank man knocks speck man in the head with his two-by-four plank. But what's Jesus' point? Plank man is giddy at finding sawdust in another person's eye. But he is blind to the greater sin in his own life. As disciples of Jesus, we suffer from plank-eye. We suffer from plank-eye when we are overly sensitive to the sin of others and desensitized to our own sin. We see this in the lives of the religious leaders. Remember when the religious leaders dragged the woman caught in adultery to Jesus and threw her at Jesus' feet, demanding Jesus judge her with his justice? Demanding that she be stoned to death? Now Nobody is doubting. Jesus isn't doubting that she had sinned. But Jesus suspends justice as his compassion for the woman leads to showing her mercy. But now watch what Jesus does. Jesus then turns from the sinful woman towards the religious leaders, and Jesus now suspends mercy and demands justice, because the sin of the religious leaders was much worse than the woman's sin. Jesus hits them square in their plank eye, and he says, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. John chapter 8, verse 7. Can you and I admit that we suffer from plank-eye? Look what Jesus calls people with plank-eye. Look what he calls people with plank-eye. He says, you hypocrite. Ray Pritchard explains how disciples of Jesus justify their judgmental attitude. Listen to what he writes. This convicted me. He writes this. The tendency towards hypocrisy shows itself in many subtle ways. Have you ever noticed how we like to rename our sins? We do that by ascribing the worst motives to others, while using other phrases to let ourselves off the hook. If you do it, you're a liar. If I do it, I merely stretch the truth. If you do it, you're cheating. I'm simply bending the rules. And then Pritchard lists additional examples of such hypocritical statements. Catch this. Sinners lose their temper. I have religious anger. Sinners are jerks. I'm just having a bad day. Sinners have a critical spirit. I bluntly tell the truth. Sinners gossip. I share prayer requests. Sinners curse and swear. I let off steam. Sinners are pushy. I'm intensely goal-oriented. Sinners are greedy. I'm just simply taking care of business. I think the revivalist was spot on when he said this. Hypocrites in the church? Yeah. But don't hunt through the church for a hypocrite. Go home and look in the mirror. Hypocrites? Yes. See that you make the total number in the church one less. That's good. Jesus tells us how to get rid of a hypocrite in the rest of verse 5. He says this. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Disciples of Jesus must be more critical of their own sin before messing with other people's sin. Here's an exercise for you. On a sheet of paper, make two columns, side by side. On the first column, write, my sinful ways. On the second column, write, what God wants me to do about them. After you've made a list of your sinful ways, look at God's Word. And as you look through God's Word, write specific verses that address each of the sinful areas that you're struggling with currently. And after writing that list, confess your sins in repentance to God. Church, if we all do this, if we kill the hypocrite in us by being sensitive to the sin in our lives, we can say what Marilyn said to Kathy at the Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Do you remember what that was? She said, honey, you're going to be okay. You're with us now. What did she mean? At AA, everyone is a recovering alcoholic. Well, at Blenville, everyone's a recovering sinner. Let me show you. Hi, my name's Troy Nelson. I'm a sinner. I'm a member of Blenville Christian Church because it is a church for recovering sinners like me. Please show me Jesus. May we take sin seriously as a church because we believe Jesus is the only way to recovery from sin.